Hello there, this is Monica Reinagel of The Change Academy, and I wanted to jump in here just in case you're listening to this podcast for the first time. In the episode that you're about to listen to, you'll hear me and my co-host, Brock Armstrong, with whom I launched this show back in 2020. But change has come to The Change Academy. Although Brock is still an important part of our team, he's no longer co-hosting the show. We talk all about that in episode number 102 if you're curious to learn more. I hope that the Change Academy will continue to be part of your listening life going forward. But right now, please enjoy this episode from our archive. All right. All right. Take your seats, everyone. This time, we're continuing our 50,000-mile tune-up with fuel. Take your seats, please. Thanks. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast, a show where we use our training in fitness, movement, nutrition, and weight loss, but more importantly, our experience as behavior change coaches to help you move towards your best self and your best life. I'm Brock Armstrong. And I'm Monica Reinagel. And welcome to part four of the 50,000 mile tune-up series. In the previous episodes in this series, we've checked into our beliefs and expectations about aging, and we've updated our goals around aging and clarified our values and our priorities. Then we did a deep dive into what our engine, otherwise known as our body, needs to keep running well right now and for years to come. And in this episode, we are going to optimize the type of fuel that we're putting into our engine. And of course, by fuel, I mean food. (laughs) And for that, who better to hand it over to than our resident nutrition expert, Monica Reinagel. So take it away, Monica. (laughs) Thank you, Brock. And I was so pleased that we got an email this morning from someone, especially to tell us that he's really been enjoying the 50,000 mile tune-up series. And I was glad to hear that because... We've been looking forward to doing this, and we're wondering how it would land with all of you. So if you also have feedback for us on this series, we are always as close as your email send button, and we love to hear from you. Hello at changeacademypodcast.com is the way to get us. Okay, so let's dig in. We got a big topic today. (laughs) Yeah, we sure do. And okay, at the risk of stretching this analogy to the breaking point, mechanics often recommend that owners of classic cars spring for premium fuel. (laughs) And I don't know about you, Brock, but I feel like classic sounds so much better than older, right? (laughs) Definitely. I'm a classic model. You are definitely a classic, Monica. (laughs) Seriously, though, our nutrition needs do change as we progress through all the different stages of our life. And yet, once we reach adulthood, you know, once we're done with school and living on our own, our eating habits can remain remarkably fixed for decades. Yeah, it's true. So for this part of our tune-up, we're going to assess our current diets and if necessary, make just a few tweaks. Now, I do want to point out that food, for me anyway, is much more than just fuel, although that is our analogy for today. But as we consider our nutritional needs, it's also really important to reconcile what our bodies need nutritionally with things like our lifestyle and our tastes and our preferences. So a perfect quote unquote diet that you don't really enjoy eating isn't going to get you very far. So I'm a big fan of the good enough diet that you enjoy and that's going to fit into your lifestyle. For some reason, I started thinking of 
I think it was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the TV show. One of the characters brought in these, what looked like granola bars, but they actually just said nutrition brick on it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like the the right amount of calories to fuel the human animal for the day. Yeah, we don't we're not talking about that. We're not going to feed you some gray mush for the rest of your life. There are people who just want it to be simple. They can eat the same thing every day. They just want to optimize it and be done. My friend Chris is always asking me if I could just design some sort of people chow that he could just shake into his bowl. Nutrition bricks. (laughs) Okay, that's not how I approach nutrition or food. Um, So that will be reflected here. But what is different now than when we were in our 20s or in our 30s? Well, I want to talk about two changes in particular that can have a really big impact on how our bodies age, how well our bodies age. The first is that we generally need fewer calories as we get older. And that means that if we just keep on eating the same amount as we've become used to eating through our 30s, we're going to end up gaining weight. That's what explains a lot of that dreaded middle age spread. Mm. At the same time, we also need more protein when we get a little bit older. And we'll dig into the reasons for that in a moment. But that means that protein is going to have to start taking up a bigger percentage of our calories. Right. I wish, (laughs) I love podcasting, but I wish this were a visual medium right now because I could show you some visuals that kind of bring this home. But If we need fewer calories and more protein, that means that protein is going to take up a bigger chunk of the calories that we do eat. Right. Right. We can't just pile it on top. Otherwise, we're definitely going to increase the the calories. Exactly. We have to make room for those protein calories. It it makes sense. Right. Although I am looking at the graph in front of me. So (laughs) So it's making perfect sense sense to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this is sort of like in my analogy, we're going to be choosing higher octane fuel. We're just going to put a little bit more oomph into that diet. A little nitrous oxide in there, or NOS, as they call it in the Fast and Furious movies. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. All right. So my point is it will require just some tweaks in the way we think about our meals, the way we're accustomed to putting together our plates. Now, one piece of good news is that in addition to all the other great things that it can do for us, Protein also has sort of a natural appetite suppressant effect, or it just helps tame our appetites. And what that means is if we do need to trim our calories a little bit, if we're also increasing protein, it's going to make that a lot more comfortable. But before we get into sort of the practical how-tos, I'd love to just take a couple of minutes to peek under the hood, if you will, at how all of this works. So first, let's just talk about why it is that we tend to require fewer calories as we age. Ah, I'm glad you're getting into that. I almost interrupted earlier to find out why, but it was coming. Okay. Right. Well, and you know why. Part of this has to do with the fact that we do tend to be less active as we get older. And Mm -hmm. we talked a lot about that in the previous episode on Engine. Fortunately, This is what we call a modifiable risk factor. This is one of the things about aging that we actually can control. We don't have to become less active as we get older. Yeah. But we do sometimes have to push against some cultural scripts. Yes. The people who are telling you to sit down on the bus, take my seat. Just because I have gray in my beard doesn't mean I need to sit on the bus. Thank you very much. (laughs) In fact, I could carry you to your bus stop. Indeed. Another related reason that our calorie needs decrease is that we also tend to lose muscle tissue as we age. Mm -hmm. 
This is another thing that we do have a say in, but muscle is very metabolically active tissue. It just uses up a lot more calories than other kinds of tissue like bone or fat. So when we lose muscle, if we lose muscle, our bodies are going to burn fewer calories. But really, that's only the beginning of the problem with declining muscle mass. Uh, You used this term in the last episode, Brock, the medical term for this loss of muscle mass is age-related sarcopenia. And this generally begins in our 40s, but it really starts to accelerate as we reach late 50s, 60, and beyond. And this gradual loss of muscle tissue is ultimately responsible for so much of the frailty and the decline that we start to see much later when people get into their 70s and their 80s, but this is where it starts. Mm -hmm. So this is why we want to take action now. (laughs) Age-related sarcopenia is really, it's so common that it's tempting. And I think a lot of the medical profession just see this as normal and inevitable. But this is one aspect of aging that we do have a lot of control over. And the best time to really get serious about this is in our 40s or 50s or even earlier before that process has really begun to gain steam. So we're not trying to reclaim lost territory. But that is possible for sure. You can like don't panic if you're 75 and you're you're thinking, oh, well, am I really screwed now? You can reclaim some of that. But it's it's best if you start a little bit earlier, yes, it's if possible. Never too late. But if you are earlier in life, it's an opportunity for you. Yeah. So in that last episode, Brock talked about the kinds of activities that can help you maintain and even build or build back muscle tissue. But there's a really important dietary element to this as well that you alluded to, Brock. And that is that in order to build and maintain that muscle, we also need dietary protein, protein from our foods. And as we get older, it takes more protein to get the job done. And this is due to something called anabolic resistance. So let's talk a little bit about anabolic resistance. Yes, please. I was going to say, can you, I, I need a refresher. Yeah, we're going to be issuing like one and a half college credits at the end of this episode. <laughs> so some of the protein that we take in from food is used to make muscle tissue. And that process is called muscle protein synthesis or MPS. Makes sense. Yeah. And that process is dose dependent. And what I mean by that is that the more protein we take in, the more muscle or the faster we will synthesize muscle but only up to a point. Mm -hmm. So as the dose or the amount of protein that we're consuming at any given meal increases, the rate of muscle synthesis goes up until it hits a plateau. And after that point, even if you continue to increase your protein, the rate of muscle synthesis stays the same. That's really interesting. It's not necessarily more is better, but only to a point. Only to a point, exactly. But here's the real key for our purposes. So when you're in your 20s, you can hit that peak, that plateau at 20 to 25 grams of protein. And that's a relatively small serving, just three ounces. If you can imagine a deck of cards, a little piece Mm. of chicken or beef or pork that size, that's all you'd need. I had two decks of cards last night for dinners. Ah, (laughs) we're going to get, okay. We're going to get back to that because that's an opportunity for you. So, okay. That's what it takes when you're 20s. But once you're older, it can take about a third more, 30 to 35 grams of protein just to get to that same level. Okay. And that gap between what we need when we're younger and what we need when we're older, that's what we're talking about when we say anabolic resistance. It's resistance to the effects of protein on muscle synthesis. Okay. Okay. But now that's all the bad news I have for you. Now we're we're getting into the good news. And that is that 
you are probably not just even you, Brock, but you, all you listening, you are probably eating enough protein to hit this maximal muscle building effect, even this higher level at least twice a day. Right. Probably lunch and dinner is what I'm guessing for me. Mm -hmm. If you're careful, but the problem is that most of us aren't actually distributing our protein very smartly. We mm. typically eat most of our protein at dinner time, and then the rest is all spread out over breakfast and lunch and snacks. Uh, and that means that we may only be hitting that optimal dose only once a day, if that. Mm. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean if we're not hitting that maximum peak. That doesn't mean that we're not building any muscle. A lot of people think that this is just sort of like a switch that's either on or off. And that's not quite how it works. You are going to be building muscle even at lower protein intakes. You're just not getting as much muscle building benefit as you could from the protein that you're eating. So without even increasing the amount of protein we're eating, we could get more benefit by distributing it more smartly. So here are three guidelines that I have. We're, get, we're Now we're into the practical how-tos regarding protein intake. And I want to point out at the outset that this isn't an all or nothing thing. Just follow these as much as you can, as often as you can, but every little bit counts. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. Every time we do one of these kinds of talks or podcasts or anything, how similar the advice is between movement and nutrition. Everything that you just said about spreading it out over the day mm. and don't worry if it's not absolutely perfect, just getting close enough and so that all applies to movement as much as it does to nutrition. Oh. It's always so heartening to hear that. That's a great insight. Okay, so here are my three guidelines that you can follow as much and as often as you can. Okay. Number one, try to get 75 to 100 grams of protein every day. And ideally, about half of that will come from animal sources. Now, I realize some people do not eat animal foods, and so that will not apply to you. But if you do, if you can get about half of your protein from animal sources, this will be to your biological benefit. And I'm also including things like eggs and dairy. It's not just meat and fish, but also eggs and dairy. So again, guys, most of you are already doing this. The average intake for protein for guys in the United States anywhere is about 90 grams a day. So you got this nailed. Women often need to step it up just a little bit, especially if they are vegetarians. So mm. that's number guideline number one. Guideline number two is to try to get a 30-gram dose of protein at least once a day. Try to work it out so that at least one meal a day includes 30 grams of protein. And then my third guideline is, and this would apply to your dinner last night, Brock, don't eat more than 30 grams at one sitting. Mm. And the only reason is that you're not getting any more benefit from that. And so the overage could be better applied to a different meal. Yeah, it's just at that point, it's kind of not useless calories, but it's just increasing that caloric amount that I'm eating without getting benefits from it. So without getting that benefit from it. That benefit. That's right. So if I'd switched it to switch that portion to a bigger spinach salad or something, then I'd be getting the benefits from that and not just missing out on the benefits of the extra protein. Exactly. Exactly. So just by watching, so it's kind of paradoxical, you know, we, we need to watch out that our protein amounts aren't too small, but then there's another opportunity in those meals where they are more than we need to shift that to a different meal so that we can get more benefit from that. 
But you're right. It's probably only once a day that we really need to be concerned with the eating too much of it. Most of the other meals we can focus on just increasing. It's really probably just dinner that most of us have to be like, okay, maybe I'll scale back on the size of my pork steak and (laughs) increase my salad size. Yeah. Or put the other half of your your pork or your tenderloin or your piece of salmon in the fridge and eat it the next morning with your breakfast. Perfect. Yeah. Because in practical terms, what this advice usually translates into is exactly that, eating more protein at breakfast and or lunch. And then if you like, you can usually end up eating less protein at dinner. So you haven't increased your total protein. You're just deploying it more smartly. Nice. Now, look, I know you guys don't all have memorized exactly how many grams of protein are in this or that. So in the worksheet for today, which you will find at changeacademypodcast.com slash fuel, fuel, F-U-E-L, I've included a chart that shows you how much protein is in a lot of different common foods, both animal foods and plant-based sources of protein. And then I've also made you a little tracker that you can use for a few days just to see how your protein is adding up and how often you're ringing that bell. And I think once you do that for a few days, you kind of get a feel for it. And again, the difference between 74 grams and 75 grams is not meaningful. (laughs) You can round (laughs) up or down to the closest five. It's not a big deal. But this can be just a small shift in what you're already doing that can have a big impact. I think I can do that. And I guess once again, this is a good time to to just remind people that eating protein alone isn't going to get you all the way it, right. to that, to really undoing the, the damages or the problems with sarcopenia. You do need to challenge those muscles in conjunction with that protein intake. Otherwise, you're not going to get the results you're looking for. That's right. It absolutely takes both parts, the the exercise and the and the dietary approach to get the job done. Yeah. Okay, now if you are someone who is also noticing a little bit of that dreaded midlife spread, just those extra pound or two that seem to be creeping up year after year, then you may also want to tweak your calorie intake. And that's especially true if you're adding any additional calories in order to increase your protein intake. And here again, I have just three tips for you, and you can follow them just as much as you can and as often as you can, because once again, every little bit counts. And the first one is to remove all carbohydrate from your diet. <laughs> Not exactly, but you're, oh, you're okay. on the right track. <laughs> the, the first one is simply to, to consider trimming your portions of those starchy foods like potatoes, bread, rice, pasta. You don't have to eliminate them from your diet. But when I look at people's diets, this is often just a place where there's, I want to say fat to trim, but we're talking about carbs. <laughs> where there's excess that can easily be trimmed. These are foods that as delicious as they can be are not really adding a lot of nutrition to your diet. They are often responsible for a lot of those excess calories. So that's a place that you can look to size down a little bit as you're sizing up your protein, size down those starches. Mm -hmm. We were just having a conversation in my 30 day nutrition upgrade group and they were sharing recipes for these beautiful like lentil stews and they were talking about serving them over rice. Oh, geez. And I pointed out, you know, lentils and beans and legumes, they are great plant-based protein, but they already come with a lot of starch included. And so you don't actually have to serve them over rice, but we're accustomed to doing that. And not only are we accustomed to serving them over rice, we're accustomed to serving them over giant mountains of rice. So, <laughs> so we agreed that if rice was going to be included just purely for culinary purposes, that that the serving could be a lot smaller than what many of us have become accustomed to. I think there's an awful lot of 
left over from times of famine and times of uh, of struggle mm. where potatoes, rice, pasta, were bread were the cheapest things that we could actually put on our plate to fill our stomachs right. when they're in the absence of other things to fill our stomachs. And, and we've sort of haven't really recovered from that, even though that may have been a hundred or more years ago. Yes, we're fortunate now. Mm. Okay, so that's number one. Tip number one is to keep an eye on those starches. Tip number two is also to pay attention to how many calories you're consuming in liquid form. Oh, geez. And in this category, I would include things like alcohol, juice, soft drinks, energy drinks, and then of course, those sweetened coffee and tea drinks that we've all gotten so fond of. Again, these are generally empty calories. And they're also super insidious because they don't make you feel any fuller. And so you just add those calories to whatever else you're eating. Um, And they can add up a lot more quickly than people realize. Often when people are trying to keep track of calories, they forget to count those. And Mm -hmm. it can be a big oversight. So keep an eye on that. I started drinking de-alcoholized beer quite a while ago and felt like I was really like, oh, yeah, this is so great. I don't have to even look at this anymore because it doesn't contain alcohol. But Mm. one can of it had 100 and some 125 calories or something. Mm -hmm in it. And yeah, that, I need to be keeping an eye on that. Even though it doesn't have alcohol, it still has an impact. It's a good point. It's a good point. And then the third has to do with treats. And you know me by now, I'm all about the treats. I love treats. <laughs> but I think as we get older, what we want to do is to go for quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. We want to make our treats potentially smaller and or less frequent, but definitely let's make them better. Let's hold out for the good stuff. But that way we can keep an eye on those excess calories without cutting all the pleasure and enjoyment out of our lives. And I want to clarify that by better, we don't mean more expensive. We don't mean like it has to be fancy. It just has to be better to you. Like whatever you think is really important and really valuable and worthwhile to you is that's what we mean by better. Exactly. So These were just two really big picture issues, um, protein and calories. In addition to all of that, our bodies, of course, require an array of vitamins and minerals in order to function properly. And I'd be remiss if I didn't just say that, you know, a diet that includes a good variety of fresh whole foods is going to go a long way towards covering all of those other nutrient needs. But you know what? That's true throughout the entire lifespan. That's nothing new here. But if you are looking for more nutrition information or advice or on more specific topics, there are now over 650 episodes of the Nutrition Diva podcast in which I've covered just about every aspect of nutrition. And I worked with my editor, Adam Cecil at Quick and Dirty Tips to put together a special little playlist just for Change Academy listeners to go with today's episode He helped me pull together a playlist of episodes that are particularly relevant to those who are approaching or beyond midlife. And so we've got a link to that playlist also in the show notes, which are at changeacademypodcast.com slash fuel. Awesome. That's such a great resource. So glad you were able to put that together and that you have 650 episodes to pull from. (laughs) That's That's crazy. Okay, so I'm going to try and sum up everything that you just sort of fed us with a fire hose here. But I think the first thing that we can think about as we move into middle age or beyond is that in this time of life, we just need fewer calories. Mm -hmm. 
but we also need more protein. Right. So cutting back on starches and liquid calories can actually help us to lower that caloric intake and thus make room for the protein. Right. And then I think one of the biggest things that I'm going to take away from this is that splitting your protein intake up into about 30 gram doses throughout the day, not all in one go, can actually maximize or optimize the benefits you get from that protein. Exactly. And finally, of course, don't forget to <laughs> eat a great variety of fresh whole foods every day on a regular basis because that's always going to do you well. Yeah, it's worth so much more than, you know, any handful of multivitamins or supplements that you could ever take. Uh, the, the getting your nutrition from foods is really where it all begins and ends. Right. So our next system in this 50,000 mile tune-up is the transmission. Hmm. Can you guess what that might be? <laughs> I know Monica can, but can you, listener, can you guess what that might be about? Well, we'll explain that when we get to the next episode, but bonus points for anybody who guesses correctly ahead of time. So you can email us your guess or your questions or your anything yeah. at hello at changeacademypodcast.com. So what do you think transmission is going to be? <laughs> I can hardly wait to see what people guess. Or we'll see you next time for the transmission talk. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy with Monica Reinagle and Brock Armstrong. <laughs>